Welcome to the Quantum Biology Podcast, where we break down the practical strategies of the emerging science, starting with healthy light habits and going wherever the quantum superhighway takes us. This is your host, Meredith Oak, QBC co-founder and executive coach with a friendly reminder, podcasts are conversations, not consultations. Though if you're looking for one, check out our practitioner directory, or if you are a practitioner, we have an upcoming certification launching July 17th. All the info is on our website, quantumbiologycollective.com. Dr. Max Gulhain is a family physician based in New South Wales, Australia, and is the host of the wonderful Regenerative Health Podcast. Early in his career, Dr. Gulhain observed the failure of the pharmaceutical-based medical model to adequately address chronic illness and prevent disease. And he began a journey, starting with diet and leading to light, to understand the best way to manage the common complaints and illnesses he was seeing in his practice. In this episode, Dr. Gulhain explains why light and circadian rhythms are so important, why we need a nature-based light-dark cycle as the foundation of our health, and why most light bulbs are the equivalent of junk food. We cover a lot of other ground in this conversation as well. Those are the key points. Enjoy. Welcome, Dr. Max Gulhane. It is an absolute pleasure to be doing this podcast with you. Um, for everyone, anyone who doesn't know, Dr. Gulhane is the host of his own podcast called the Regenerative Health Podcast. Uh, it's excellent. I highly recommend anyone. If you like this podcast, you will like his. So if you haven't checked it out, go ahead and do that. There's some great episodes on there. Um, so Dr. Gulhane, tell us a little bit about your background, what you, you know, what you did traditionally, and then how you sort of made the pivot into this weird, weird and wonderful world of quantum and circadian biology. Yeah, thank thank you so much, Meredith, for having me on, and really respect what you're doing with the the Quantum Biology Collective here. So uh, I'll give you an idea about what I yeah how I got into this. I've approached uh, quantum health originally. Um, my health journey was through the a dietary dietary stuff. Um, <clears throat> the 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 short story is that I essentially had quite bad acne that I developed in my early, early twenties, a bit later than everyone normally gets skin problems. And what I found worked really effectively uh, for those symptoms was a low carbohydrate uh, and then a carnivore type diet. And that kind of journey was precipitated or you know hurried along by my encounter with with the healthcare system, with dermatologists and general practitioners who were, you know, very, very readily and very uh, able to prescribe medications, but didn't discuss lifestyle um, in any real um, meaningful way that, that would effectively move the needle. So um, I guess like a lot of the listeners that uh, tuning in or, or listen to your podcast, it was a situation of of the patient working out how to treat themselves most effectively and not getting that information um, given to them, which I think is, I guess that's that's one of the key problems that I'm hoping to try and help with, with both with my podcast and 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 events and and things like this, is because it shouldn't be up to the layperson to kind of wade through, uh, you know, all, all the dietary light circadian stuff themselves. I feel like that that that's the goal of the the medical profession is to to actually be able to heal people. And and we were talking off air a little bit about about your health journey and it's onerous. And luckily, um, you know, I had a medical ba- background. I was going through a science degree. I was going through medical school. So I guess I had the um, scientific and uh, intellectual training to kind of make, make sense of things a bit quicker, um, which was, which was helpful, but mm-hmm. the problem kind of, kind of still exists, exists as well today is that um, it's not as easy as it should be for people to access and be supported with, um, you know, with best best practice kind of lifestyle advice. So I, uh, yeah, it, along this period, I, I went through uh, 
a, a couple of heavy medications for acne. Some of your your listeners might know of uh, Roaccutane, which is a isotretinoin. and it's quite quite a heavy medication. And after that, I kind of just basically stopped that because I was having uh, some mood side effects. Uh, and uh, around the same time, I was experimenting with things like plant based diets, and I guess following what what was supposed to be the mainstreams. Uh, uh, endorsed approach to treating any health condition is go plant-based, uh, had a very, very, uh, adverse reaction to that after about eight, nine months. Uh, and then, yeah, found low carb through, uh, there's a, uh, I guess it's quite similar to what you're doing. It's called low carb down under. It's, mm-hmm. it's a, a accumulation of videos that, uh, by doctors that help people, um, inform on this kind of topic. So you're, you're really a, a parallel of that, that resource, but from a quantum point of view, uh, and then got got onto carnivore, uh, which I found was really, really, really helpful. I guess um, how I got into the light stuff is that amongst the whole intellectual, you know, I guess you could call it a battleground on Twitter. There's, you know, there's different factions and there's different like warring parties. And you know, Dr. Jack Cruz is you know, an outsized figure in, in this kind of um, – in, in this arena. So I'm not sure exactly how I found him, but um, someone must have linked linked him um, a, a video. And I basically went down my own kind of rabbit hole because even though I was, I'd experienced such benefits on carnivore, I wasn't, um, I wasn't necessarily happy to just say, okay, that's all there is. And I get a feeling that some players in, in the health space are content to, hit a intellectual boundary of a dietary paradigm and not progress any further. And, um, but I, I don't like to do that. I, I always, I'm asking why, 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 and, and going <laughs> deeper and deeper. And especially with, with someone like Cruz and other people in the space, you know, hanging such juicy intellectual carrots and and making claims that I need to investigate for myself. So yeah, some, somewhere along the line, I found him and went down a whole bunch of his interviews uh, and the whole trip for about, you know, four or five years, I'd been wearing blue light blocking glasses because I kind of had an intuition that uh, it was something I should do. And I felt better when I did it, but it wasn't until the past probably year or year and a half that I really launched deeper into exactly why they're so effective and why we should be doing it. And then this has kind of culminated. And I obviously I started my podcast in December and then I met uh I met met someone at a conference and they introduced me online to Dr. Cruz. And then I've kind of, I've recorded my, my cruise series. There's three podcasts in, in that so far. Uh, and then subsequently interviewed uh, Carrie Bennett and, and, and kind of engaging and really now delving into the quantum side of things. But, but that's, that's where I'm at at the moment. And, and I'm a general practice registrar. So I, I did gen, uh, medical school. I worked in emergency medicine for a while um, and now I'm seeing my own patients is in in the context of family medicine. And I've really got the opportunity to discuss about circadian health. And I've I don't have one on me, but I've actually made up a little flyer which I give out to people. And it's got, I think it's about just got six points on it. And I just explain about, you know, the 80-20 of of circadian health, um, seeing the morning sunrise, getting out throughout the day to get some sun on the skin creating a low light environment, wearing blue light blockers and ideally turning off Wi-Fi's uh, during during the night. So the, that kind of journey and the journey of learning about quantum biology is, I guess, gotten me to the point where I'm comfortable talking about it as an adjunct lifestyle advice um, to, to my patients. And I guess what my job is or the way I sit, one, one way I see my job is to kind of listen to my patients, listen to their story, listen to what is going on and um i guess pick from a toolbox of lifestyle interventions which one is going to be the most effective to help their particular problem based on what what they can do um with their knowledge what they're prepared to change and i think the quantum stuff is is invaluable as part of that yes and i think it's really interesting what you were saying about the the warring factions on twitter or wherever there are. And that because people get so locked into like a, into the food dogma and, you know, my background is in, is in coaching, executive coaching and helping people sort of change, change their behaviors. So I have spent a lot of time reading and thinking about that. And I notice, and 
in my experience, when something helps, right? So if you do switch to a certain type of diet and it does solve some of your problems, we tend to get extremely attached to that and to whoever introduced us to it and to the very specific criteria of that. And then we became, we become very dogmatic about whatever it is, the food or the lifestyle intervention. And for me, I wasn't able to do that. A, I don't like, I'm not a super big food person. So I found doing all these food, different types of food interventions challenging. And I, so I didn't want to get attached to them and B, it wasn't working. Right. Like I, the idea that like, oh, maybe I'm just not doing the food hard enough. That's why I'm not getting better. Um, you know, the results just weren't there. So what I like, what I love about quantum biology is like, there's really no dogma. Like you can do, you can eat whatever you want. You, you just are understanding what is happening from a certain perspective, right? Aside from the some of the protocols that you just mentioned in terms of optimizing light environments, like there's really no dogma in this field. It's a totally wide open. Yeah, yeah, and I um I interviewed uh, recovering vegan um, Giselle Basson uh, in one of my early episodes, and she described exactly what you talk about, Meredith, which was in within the vegan ideology there was if people were falling sick or they're not getting better there was this idea that you're not veganing hard enough um you know you're not doing it enough <laughs> yeah. and and which is obviously you know we, we've we've strayed into the territory of of religious ideology by the time by the time you're not veganing hard enough and i think to a certain degree that can be also the case in 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 the carnivore um point of view is that um perhaps if you're having issues you're not not kind of doing it enough or hard enough. What I would think or what I think now is that there are certain problems that are are light problems and food can't can't solve a light problem. And and certain patients who are basically being held together so that they're feeling better and their symptoms are improved on carnivore. But you can you can see that you know if you remove that that piece of string and that band-aid, you know, things would fall apart. So to me, that that's pointing to a deeper seat, deeper issue. And we're not yet getting it at the root cause. It's helping, but we're not yet solving that kind of um root cause issue. But for that that reason, that's why I still support carnivore in that um, you know, for someone living at a lower latitude, uh, particularly here in, in Albury um, during the winter, you, it's very difficult to get um, a meaningful amount of sunlight uh, throughout the day. If it's a very overcast, yes, we can get outside and still get some solar exposure, but um, it still has a place in kind of, again, maintaining people if for whatever other reason they can't change um, things like their their latitude or the the place that they live. Yes, absolutely. And then the diet and the light work together. And everyone's situation is slightly different. Um, but there are some fundamental pieces. And I find too, you know, again, like from my coaching perspective, people also tend to be very all or nothing, right? Like, oh, well, it's either food or light, or it's either <laughs> this or that. Um, or I should throw out everything I've been doing and like just do, just do light stuff. And I think we focus very heavily on light because. It, it is a missing piece that has not been focused on. But once you bring that in, like all, it's a holistic perspective, right? Like every everything matters. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. And what you said earlier, I think there is a tendency within even health is for people to basically get behind, as you said, what worked for them and find ways of scientifically justifying their own personal biases. Yes. Uh, um, so whatever works for them, they're going to keep kind of cheerleading. So it is it is difficult to try and maintain um, as impartiality in the face of of your own personal lived experience, whatever however fe- effective that has been. But uh, I, I agree that there is there isn't a one size fits all everyone's going to have a different percentage response to each different um, intervention, whether that's someone who really can't tolerate any light after sunset and some people really find benefit from, you know, cutting out vegetables. So everyone's going to respond differently. And and for that reason, uh, like you said, I, I emphasize, you know, food diet, light diet. I, I say that to my mm. patients, nice. you know, optimal health lies somewhere in the middle of, of these and, and, 
yeah, you, you you want to be doing most of them and most that you're able to if you if if your health is a problem and you need to get back to that thriving point of view, that state of being. Yes. And I love that food diet, light diet, because I think one of the other things is that, um, you know, and we, we talk about this a lot in the certification, right? Like if all the research on, on margarine came out, right. And we found out that actually margarine is really bad for you. Everyone's like, okay, I'm going to take margarine out of the healthy food category and move it over (laughs) into the toxic food category. Got it. But when you say to somebody like your light bulbs are, are toxic. They're like, what are you talking about? Right. Like we don't even have a framework for good light, bad light. We don't even think about it in those terms. So I love that, that you're framing it that way for your patients. And for someone who's new, how, how would you, um, explain what healthy light is versus what toxic light is or unhealthy light? Yeah, I, I was having this exact conversation with the last patient of the day uh, yesterday, and um, you know, I pointed up to the fluorescent bulb in my clinic room that I try and keep off uh, most of the day, but when it's overcast and dark in Aubrey, uh, I, can't, I have to turn it on. I'll, I'll have my blue blockers on. But I said to him, I said, "Look, that that is the meth of light." Like that's, that's the methamphetamine of light. It, 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 that, it's an isolated blue wavelength. It's not balanced by uh, red. It has no non-visible, you know, infrared or any other type of non-visible wavelength. Um, it is, you know, the color temperature of the midday. Uh, and when you are exposed to it uh, at the wrong time or in general, but particularly um, at the wrong time, later in the day after dark, you are stimulating yourself massively um, by, by that light signal. Um, and, you know, that's going to prevent your body from making the melatonin hormone. It's going to promote your your body's cortisol level, all this kind of thing. So I, I try and explain it that, you know, just like there's junk food, uh, there's also junk light. Um, and, it's it's a it's a highly refined form of light, and this is a the way that I explain um, food food products to people is if you're eating something that's processed, anything that's processed is is by humans is going to be bad for you. Whether it's processed wheat, you know, processed uh, uh, seed oils, processed coca leaf, you know, anything that humans have refined uh, and purified is uh, is suboptimal. And that that analogy I think maps beautifully onto onto light as well um so whenever you've got that uh that that blue light that's been presented without the the other um, wavelengths you've got a problem and it also helps to bring up the uh the light basically spectra i often do that for my patients and i show them like look look at what natural daylight look like look how balanced it is across all the different visible colors and then look at led you know look at all these different sources and that's a great way of communicating to patients well hang on this is not natural and i think we don't have to go too complex or too deep into it to just that's a visual depiction of 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 something that's obviously not not natural um so yeah that that's kind of my my general approach for someone who's got no idea or, or no um background in it that makes a lot of sense i like that a lot so the the light that comes out of the sun is different at different types of times of day, but it tends to have a full spectrum. Whereas the light that comes out of a light bulb is like processed light in the way that refined sugar is processed or refined flour is processed and it's harsh and narrow. So we don't have all of those other frequencies balancing anything out. Yeah. And, and like to your point earlier, people just don't have an understanding or framework of of this, uh, you know, people have a, an inclination that eating refined sugar is bad. You know, a lot of people have an inclination that eating vegetable oils is is not intuitively healthy for them. But you know, every new house that's being that gets built in Australia and in these in estates, they have LED downlights, um, and they're the harshest, yeah. <laughs> whitest. Uh, a harshest, widest light you can you can find, and you know there's the street lights in these places are blaring, so people are getting light into their bedrooms. They're not having a fully dark dark bedroom, um, you know. And then the Wi-Fi router, you know, the internet Ethernet port is you know in the walking 
closet or opposite the main bedroom. So where people are default plugging their Wi-Fi routers in is going to be next to, you know, very close to where they sleep. So the whole, not only do people not have a framework for understanding how harmful this light environment, this artificial light environment is, the whole environment, the built environment, whether that's at home or at work, is also set up for the exact opposite of what we, you and I know to be an optimal uh, human light environment. So there's no there's no wonder why people are you know, sick, overweight, or, or having you know, carbohydrate addictions, all these problems that we know um, have a deep contribution by by light, their light environment. Um, but it's that's why I respect what you're doing so much because we really need to. Um, given awareness that that this is not normal this is not natural and this is very very meaningfully impacting health yes so ex- explain to us what's happening so let's start with with the harmful piece and then we'll talk about the healing piece which would be you know going out in natural sunlight especially in the morning um so the harmful piece is i come home from work at the end of the day it's starting to get dark out. I throw on my overhead LEDs. I turn on the television. I'm scrolling on my phone. Um, and I do that till like 11 o'clock at night. And then I shut it all off and go to bed. And there's still some of those super harsh streetlights coming through the cracks in the blinds and it's not quite dark and I can still kind of see, but whatever, that's the way it is. Uh, and then I wonder why I'm not sleeping well. So what, what are, if that's my sort of environment what is that light doing to my body what is the effect yeah so i think of it as you're basically not giving your body a break you're not allowing your body to recover and the reason why is because prior to the invention of the electricity grid the only sources of light that we had uh you know were candlelight firelight after dark so and 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 prior to you know organized civilization for the millions of years of human evolution we were adapted and evolved to having periods of distinct absence of light so we had sun rising we had a, a a changing but balanced uh exposure to sunlight with visible and non non-visible spectra that that changed and modulated throughout the day um, that was in a constant state of programming our biological functions. And then it ended and there was complete darkness. And during that period, the body was able to go into its you know, nocturnal or its sleep mode um, with a whole bunch of, of uh, hormonal actions taking place, um, particularly the release of that melatonin hormone um, from from your pineal gland, so so that's kind of the norm. That was what uh, allowed us to exist, and that's what we were adapted to. I think that's the key point. Um, what what is normal? What is natural? What does our biology need? And and that was it. It was absence of light at dark, and it was constant um, exposure to natural sunlight frequencies. So w- with the invention of the electric grid, and then we'll fast forward all the way up to today, the presence of that artificial light at night is preventing us from accessing that that normal ab- light absence period during during darkness that we need to recover. So <clears throat> when that when that's occurring, we're not making melatonin. We're not we have we're having cortisol elevated. We're not recovering, and when we're sending critically the wrong signals to our biology about um, how to program. Uh, the entire organism. So that's the that's how I think about it at, at, a, at a very high level. Um, again, it's just like people have in this society are used to eating every two hours. Um, what what was evolutionarily normal well, that we would have periods of fasting where we didn't have any food. So that yin and yang, the absence and the presence. Um, absence of food, presence of food, absence of light, presence of food has been lost. And now we're constantly just sipping from the slurpee of, of artificial light, you know, all through the night. And, um, you know, we can go into the exact mechanisms, but that, that is, that's critically um, the, the issue because you're not allowing the body to recover. And, um, you know, it has deleterious effects on the, uh, our ability to use glucose to um, all the, the mitochondrial function, everything. 
So um, that that's, I guess, how I think about it at a high level. Lovely. Thank you for that explanation. And um, that's the explanation that I like to go with. That makes sense to me. Now, I know that there are people listening who are like, oh, he said mechanism. What is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's do, we will briefly, I don't want to go, go too deep into, in, into that side of things, but the high level, the high level explanation is that a lack of darkness and the presence of artificial light is, um, causing our bodies to not be able to restore and repair them, repair the way we're supposed to when we're sleeping. So what is the mechanism at play there? Just briefly, we don't have to spend too long here, but I know if I don't ask. Yeah. So, so it's the blue, the blue and green wavelengths um, Mm -hmm. when they hit your retina, um, your, your eye, uh, and they, that those, that light gets sensed by your um, non-visual photoreceptors. Um, your intrinsically photosensitive ret- retinal ganglion cells and there's the opsins like melanopsin sense these light wavelengths and they send signals all the way from from your retina to your to your hypothalamus to um, your suprachiasmatic nucleus and that uh, affects the way your body's your your body's ability to make uh, melatonin. So the melatonin hormones is secreted by the pineal gland at nighttime, um, a couple of hours after sunset. In in the absence of light, it gets secreted. So when we're exposed to these artificial lights, we're telling the body, no, don't make melatonin because again, you you it's the color temperature of the daytime. It's a daytime like signal. Um, so you you don't get that dump of melatonin that we're supposed to make um, appropriately. Plus, people haven't seen this morning sunrise because the first light uh, that they've seen has been their phone um, when they've woken up. So the, the the programming, the coordination of the circadian signaling from the beginning of the day all the way to the point at which they lay down is, is being disrupted and is being confused. Uh, and uh, in the absence of I mean, melatonin is not the only hormone, but uh, you know, you, the, there's a reason why shift workers have uh, you know a, a increased risk of cancer. It's a it's a there's reasons why vitamin D deficiency is associated with um, all these uh, cancers and ischemic heart disease and all all the rest because you know it's a proxy for sunlight exposure and it's a proxy for um, the appropriateness of one's circadian rhythm. And when those things are disrupted, then again you you're your uh, endogenous antioxidant system, which is governed by melatonin precisely, uh, is is out out of whack. And uh, you know, melatonin is not only uh, secreted by the pineal gland. There's melatonin made in your mitochondria by your cells during the day on exposure to uh, infrared and UVA light, and and that melatonin is locally having an antioxidant effect. So if people are not getting uh, daytime sunlight and uh, their they're also exposed to artificial light. They're having the double whammy of lack of exposure, lack of secretion of that local daytime melatonin and the nighttime melatonin. So um, again, it's like you, the antioxidant system isn't isn't being properly um, primed or properly allowed to function, and you know you get mitochondrial dysfunction, oxidative stress, uh, and and all these things. So um, yeah, that's that's I guess. Um, Again, focused on 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 the action to melatonin, but that that is how I uh, uh, think about it, particularly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so th- these are all the problems that we're causing in our system by ha- not having a sufficiently dark or dim light environment in the evening and while we're sleeping. So what what is going on when we go outside in the morning, particularly at, at sunrise or UVA rise? That that those first few hours of the day, how is that helping us? Yeah, I, I see it as uh, as a the signal. It's like the it's maybe it's almost like the the band or the orchestra is getting it, the cue to all start playing at the same time. You know, otherwise without without that coordinating signal, you know, everyone's kind of still warming up, playing odd odd notes at, at the wrong time. Um, but the 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 critical aspect of that that morning sunlight through visible and and uh and non-visible light and later as you said the uva comes in uh later in the day is that we're basically pressing play on 
on all our bodily processes and getting them aligned and coordinated to to start. The um, I love love how Dr. Jane Montgomery describes it. It's like that your your eye is a you know the, one of the most power, it's a most powerful neuroendocrine organ. So what 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 people um, uh, I guess uh, would benefit from understanding is that 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 eye is sensing your your light environment. It, it's not only forming uh, images. It's actually sensing the light, the light and the different wavelengths of light. And the morning light is is critical because it's essentially setting you up for not only to start the day, but it's also setting you up for that that night's sleep later in the day. So um yeah, I talked to Kerry Bennett about this and you know, we we made the comment that you know, if cutting out seed oils is the 80-20 of nutrition, then Getting morning sunlight is probably you know the sixty forty of uh, of circadian biology just because of how important it is in in programming everything. Absolutely, and I think it's really interesting because my before I sort of came to all of this from a from a health and healing perspective, the only time I thought about circadian rhythm was when I traveled through time zones and became jet lagged, and I kind of had a vague idea that like yeah it. it circadian rhythm is like why I feel tired in the middle of the day when I'm in a different time zone. But I, I had no understanding. And even, and even some of the foremost experts in circadian rhythms had no understanding of just how critical having a regulated circadian biology is. Could you like really bring that home for us? Because I think that that's a piece that we often miss, right? Like I've come to the place where it's, I feel like it's basically impossible to be healthy if your circadian rhythms are misaligned. Yeah, and it, it ties back to the point we were making earlier in the discussion is that the the dietary stuff um, is very is important and it will definitely help, um, but it is a facet. I, I see dietary dietary interventions and the biochemistry behind. Uh, what we do with diet is fitting into this wider, uh, this wider area of circadian and mitochondrial health, which is fundamentally uh, a problem of of physics and of bio- biophysics. So the the point is that all these bodily functions do have a circadian um, regulation, and you know I talked to Dr. Jack Cruz in my podcast series uh, about uh, POMSI. And for for the listeners, it's essentially an it's a gene that's expressed in in a bunch of neurons and a bunch of uh, places in the body, but it has uh, all these different products that get made when we're exposed uh, to UV light that govern um, metabolism, they govern the stress response, they govern uh, uh, addiction centers. So uh, the key the key part about why people are eating so much. Um, you know, we talk about the hyperpalatability of carbohydrates and sugar addictions and um and you know the breakdown products of linoleic acid, which all are undoubtedly playing a role in in food addiction. But the absence of that regulated circadian rhythm and the cues that are being sent by artificial light exposure often light, I look at as umbrella kind of causes. Of of things like carbohydrate addiction, um, you know, leptin resistance, uh, and insulin resistance. So we can kind of attack the problem later down the causal tree. And it's not to say that 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 won't work. I mean, I I'm, I just helped a patient come, you know, half his insulin dose, um, and we've only, you know, we're we're doing only a, a we're doing a low carb diet. But I think that if we could also get him regulated from a circadian point of view, then the the improvement that we'd make would be even even greater, um, and getting him out out in the sun. So yeah, to answer the question, it's uh, I see it as the umbrella problem. Um, the umbrella problem is our uh, is our regulated or lack of regulated circadian rhythm, and the exposure to all these um, artificial lights, whether they're visible like blue light or or non visible like uh, Wi Fi and and the rest of those uh, types of non native EMF. Right. And so what kind of outcomes are you seeing um, in your practice and with your patients for, let's start with people who are able to 
um, comply with your suggested light protocols? What's happening with those people? Yeah. So people, people just feel, um, a lot more grounded. They feel a lot better. Um, a lot, a lot of people have just described again, what you, what you've said to me, which is, you know, they felt it was kind of the missing piece in, in what they have been doing. I mean, one of my favorite stories is a, uh, old couple, an old lady in her eighties who, uh, who hadn't slept through the night in the past, probably 15 years. Uh, and I just said to her, look, because uh, I'm a little bit careful with with the elderly with a lot the low light environment because I don't want them to fall over uh, yeah. after dark. But uh, I just said go go like sit on the porch and, and see the sunrise sunrise in the, every morning without any kind of glasses on, and just sitting out there with her husband every morning uh, was enough to you know she came back ecstatic that you know she'd slept through the night and was sleeping through the night for the first time in you know over a decade. So wow. um, really simple and <laughs> nothing yeah. fancy, but. Uh, yeah, the, th- those type of stories are uh, are very very common, um, um, and yeah, people people are finding that um, you know often I'm, I'm seeing a lot of patients who perhaps have been through naturopaths, um, and a couple maybe functional doctors, and you know they're on a they're on a list of of supplements, and that no one's talked about their light environment. And again, it's like, yeah, we can add all these things in, but, um, you know, maybe your listeners have read Nassim Taleb. He's got a concept of via negativa, which is first remove the bad um, before mm. we add things on. And I think removing that, those, that or improving that line environment should be, huh, in terms yeah. of order of operations, it takes precedent before we add, you know, a, a list of expensive supplements. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I really come to think that as well. And again, when I first got into that, like I was saying earlier, we have that all or nothing thinking. I was like, I'm never taking a supplement ever again. It's all about light. Um, so I've I've now sort of softened that that stance. And I do think that that supplementation has its place. But as you said, after you've optimized your light environment, because how like how can a practitioner even know what supplement would be useful to somebody if their body is in total circadian chaos, right? If they're totally dysregulated, if they're not like, if you put someone on a melatonin supplement when the problem could be fixed with light, like you're not solving any problems as you pointed out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the point I wanted to make as well is that, um, you know, that, 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 uh, the light part, the signals like the retinal hyper thalamic tract that goes from your eye to your hypothalamus that projects to your pituitary gland and the regulation of all those pituitary hormones is influenced by by our light environment so um it's not just the pineal and the, the melatonin but everything along all these axes um the ovarian the adrenal everything the thyroid all these axes uh, have an influence by by light signal and the coordination of a lot of these uh um, hormones which follow diurnal curves are uh, is influenced by by the light environment. So, um, and 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 the the other point, Meredith, is that this is not like hoodoo or um, it's not like this is not science that exists. If you look in PubMed and you type in these um, these findings, there is a massive body of scientific literature that is is describing everything that we're talking about and as is the case with um, a range of lifestyle medicine, is that that scientific foundation is simply not being translated or applied uh, in a clinical practice setting. It's not because there's an absence of evidence of, of efficacy. It's simply that the guidelines are not reflecting what we know to be true um, and, and effective. And you know we say this say the same thing in the in the dietary kind of low carb paradigm is and you know there's there's lots of different reasons for that, but one could especially a patient or other doctors who might be listening, one could be misled to think that this is very very fringe or there's, there's simply not the evidence to justify what we're talking about, but it takes a very very cursory look at the evidence and the literature. Um, to even a, you can look up Wikipedia if you if you don't want to go that deep, <laughs> but everything that we've talked about um, is very well researched and and apply, uh, 
kind of established and the application of of the knowledge through things like blue light blocking glasses and red lights and all this kind of thing is simply the application of that science that that already exists so i I just want to make that point um to some of your listeners who might think this is fringe it's if you look yourself um, and not rely on a filter of um perhaps mainstream medicine functional medicine all these uh all these entities that have their own reasons often financial for uh, promoting certain treatment protocols over others if you do your own research you'll find that what what we've been talking about is is very well established that is a really really good point um yes the the research just on circadian rhythm alone is i mean i feel like every month some major new paper comes out just showing just how important it is and last summer the new york times magazine did a huge cover story it was like 10 different 10 pages long um on circadian rhythm and there's like an anecdote in there where some of the research came out that showed just how how important it is and the the head of the circadian research institute was like what really (laughs) (laughs) oh we we were just we were just thinking like light and light sort of light cycles and they had no idea so yes it is absolutely the evidence is all there and that's what we talk about a lot and why like we started the certification is like, and what you're doing with your podcast, it's like building a bridge from the science into the practice, because I don't know if it ever existed or if it, or if the bridge broke, but there does not seem to be a pipeline of best practice into that's going into the offices of the practitioners, even the naturopaths, right? Like it's, there's a yeah. disconnect there and all of, all of this. And maybe it's because the answer is so simple, right? Like go and watch, sit on your porch at sunrise with your husband. <laughs> you <know? laughs> it's like, if I feel like solving 15 years of insomnia should be more complicated than that. <laughs> yeah. But it's not yeah. in most yeah. cases. And, and that point you made about um, the simplicity, I do think the the degree to which something is simple is the degree to which someone can't make money off it. So yeah. getting your feet on the bare earth uh, and watching this, the morning sunrise is the cheapest uh, intervention, health intervention in, yeah. in maybe the history of, of the world. <laughs> uh, and no one can make money off that. Um, oh. And, you know, we see not only mainstream medicine, um, but, yeah, as you as you mentioned, functional naturopathy, that there's expensive solutions to problems that have, uh, you know, that these are light problems. So perhaps that's that's you know, if I was putting my skeptical hat on, I would I would definitely say that it's a money issue and no one can make money from these simple circadian interventions. Um, so that's why they're they're less um, they're less well promoted. Uh, I guess what. And I, I really like how you framed the 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 job of making this pipeline into to the practitioners. And um, yeah, I, I see that as critical. And lo- just like what you're doing, you don't necessarily need to have an MD to kind of give this advice. Health coaches, yeah. anyone can give this advice. Um, yeah. And if it's if it's in the best interest of the patient, then um, other MDs need to put aside their egos uh, and not feel like this is. Um, you know, privileged information and they're the only ones able to give this information. Um, if it's in the best interest of the patient, then this needs to be talked about by everyone, um, no matter what their training background is. Um, if they understand what what how the biology works and they're giving good advice, then that that that's key. The the other point I wanted to make is that coming from a metabolic lifestyle, a dietary kind of paradigm originally and and actively practicing is as as a doctor who's reversing uh, diabetes and lifestyle diseases with low carb a carnivore, I actually I see it as a personal interest of mine to integrate the dietary um, and the light stuff from a metabolic point of view, and and that's why I'm so interested in in uh, the what what uh, Dr. Jack Cruz was talking about about POMC and and a, a protein called CLIP and all these. Uh, ability for blue light to promote a, a high, uh, 
fasting, raised fasting glucose and fasting insulin, irrespective of food, because I think that is a, a real underserved or under talked about area, which is the intersection of, of the light environment and metabolism. Um, and that, that is really, really fascinating because so many people are insulin resistant and, and metabolically unwell and have visceral fat. So, um, that is, yeah, that's a personal interest of mine. And, and I hope to, I guess, keep, keep going on this intellectual journey and keep talking to people from both areas and, and kind of package this up, uh, in a way that again, is most able to give to a patient who's got diabetes, fatty liver, visceral fat and be like, okay, here you go. This is how mm-hmm. we start to heal you. That's a wonderful idea. I love that so much. And, and what it brings up for me again, you know, as a coach who, who works with people sort of on the more like emotional and behavior change side is that bringing in the light piece and marrying the, the metabolic with the, with the circadian, I think also just gives people such a, it's a real relief right? Because there's so much shame around our food habits, especially if you have type, you know, you have type two diabetes or you're overweight, people feel so much shame that they can't control it. And then to get the knowledge that there, there are other habits in their life that they see as completely disconnected from this problem, like, you know, looking at their phone at midnight, uh, on full factory settings, to know that those things are actively working against them and making everything worse. And it's not just a willpower. It's not just that they're, you know, (laughs) that they're, they're totally screwed and there's no way out. Right. Like I do, I do see that it offers relief and hope to know that actually I've been like swimming against the current, trying to change how my body's responding to food without changing my light. Yeah, definitely. Yes. So anything else, Dr. Gulhane, that you'd like to um, like to leave no, us with? Yeah. So so I'm yeah, on on the vein of um of I guess marrying all this together, um, I'm hosting an event in uh in Albury and hopefully it'll be the first of many, but I've got Dr. Jalal Khan, who's a circadian uh quantum dentist, and I'll be talking. We've got um Dr. Anthony Chafee, who's uh, on the carnival side. Uh, we've got some regenerative uh, regenerative farmer who I work with. So we're really kind of bringing in all aspects of of what I think is is good, relevant for people's health. And I really think that moving forward, like collectively, uh, we don't need more drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People don't need more drugs. Um, they don't need more supplements. They need more very high quality, uh, regeneratively raised ruminant meat. They need more seafood. Mm. They need more circadian regulation, and they need um, less Wi-Fi and less um, less less drugs. So that is, I guess, uh, an angle that I, I'm really excited about in the future. Um, and I think that optimal health for everyone for the for the population, for reversing this chronic disease epidemic, for reversing the metabolic disease epidemic, for um, addressing all the fundamental problems, you know, rising cancer and dementia rates, everything in my mind, this is just my opinion, lies in uh, this confluence of, you know, an optimal human species appropriate diet of unprocessed food, rich in animal products uh, and a highly regulated um, circadian rhythm, the absence of artificial light uh, at, at night and and morning sunrise and and everything like that, uh, and I think that regenerative farming is a is a key point because that's the one of the delivery mechanisms of getting that high quality food uh, into people. So that's I guess to to end the end of this discussion again. It's like I'm emphasizing the holistic aspect of 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 this, and again, it's not just one thing; it's a whole confluence of things and if we can add up you know all these five percenters uh in terms of behavior change then that's the key to to optimal health uh, as i see it i love it okay and we, we actually there are quite a lot of quantum enthusiasts in australia so i want to just give some more details when is your event uh so it will be on august the 6th 
okay. in Al- Albury here, Albury, New South Wales. Okay. And Albury yeah. is, you said, sort of in between Sydney and Melbourne. Is that right? Did I get that yeah, right? Yeah, correct. Okay. So it's about, a, it's about a six hour drive from Sydney and it's a three and a half hour drive from Melbourne uh, okay. on, on the border of Queens, of Victoria and New South Wales. Okay. And this event takes place over over two or three days or? Uh, it's a, it's a single day event. Um, there'll be about, there's four, four speakers and, uh, but we're organizing a farm tour at, at the local Jake Wilkie's farm, uh, that will be happening the day before. And we'll also be organizing a, an event dinner. So, um, I'll, I'll, I might send you the details. You can put them yes. in the show. Notes. We will put uh, the details to that in the show notes. Um, we have shared this event in our newsletter. We'll do that again. And I'll especially make sure that all of all of our the Australian QBC members are are aware of it, and um, yeah, you're going to record the speakers. Will people? Yeah, people? yeah, that's okay. the plan. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. So we'll share those details when they come out as well as for people if they want to access the recordings because this Thank sounds you. like a sounds like a beautiful event. I'm so happy you're doing it. I do think, as much as I love leveraging technology, I do think in person meetups are absolutely the key. Definitely. We've got a quantum entangle and a close-up range. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Great. Well, um, and so, yeah. yeah, and if if anyone is wanting to follow my podcast, um, yeah, as you said earlier, it's the Regenerative Health Podcast on um, the podcasting apps, and I'm also on Twitter, um, Max Gulhain, MD, and Instagram, um, Doctor Underscore Max Underscore Gulhain. Perfect. And we will have links to all of that in the show notes as well. So check out um, Dr. Gulhane's podcast um, and follow him on his socials. And yeah, let's let's keep this movement growing. Thank you so much for your time today. This has just been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Meredith. And thanks for everything you do as well. Thank you. This has been the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast. To find a practitioner who practices from this point of view, visit our directory at quantumbiologycollective.org. If you are a practitioner, definitely take a look at the Applied Quantum Biology Certification, a six-week study of the science of the new human health paradigm and its practical application with your patients and clients. We also love to feature graduates of the program on this very podcast. Until next time, the QBC.